the world he had made anymore. In fact, the world had become, by God's perfect standard, pretty unlovely. But God so loved this world because he doesn't change. We change, right? Oh, maybe you're all perfectly unchanging. I don't know. It's pretty steadfast. We change, but God doesn't change. His love doesn't change. The Bible says that he so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, that is, should not know the bitter taste of death in this life and the ultimate eternity of death. No, no, no. If you believe in God, you should not perish, but should have everlasting life. That's an incredible mission, I think. I think it's absolutely fantastic that God should look upon the world of his creation, even though this, this world oftentimes denies the God of, of its creation, that God should look upon this world and say, do you know, I think we need to go on a mission. I think we, yeah. I'm always reminded of that, of the Blues Brothers. Anybody like the Blues Brothers? We're on a mission from God. The three of us, okay. But uh, God is a God of mission. He's a God of the going, of the, of the sending. He's, he's a God who will always be, be reaching out for those who, who, are, who are last or least or lost or in some way left behind. God is a God of mission. And, and we see that so perfectly demonstrated in the life of Christ. But he invites us into that mission as well. God invites us into that mission. You know, just before we sang, um, we sang another song, didn't we? Um, How great is our God. And it goes, how great is our God, sing with me, yeah? How great is our God. I don't know whether you realize that that's it's evangelism that you're doing right there. Did you, did you realize that? You're kind of saying to one another, God is great, would you like to sing that with me? Yeah? And, you know, we can sing these things. But in truth, um, if we want to see the reality of these things, if, if we want to see those people that we love get to encounter the love of God and to sing of the greatness of God, then it'll actually have a cost upon us. Just as Jesus was willing to pay the price of giving everything of his glorious status in heaven, you know, just imagine it for a moment. Jesus receiving all of the accolades, all of the praise, all of the glory as he sits on his splendid throne in heaven, untouched or uh, you know, unsullied by any of the, the, the problems of our world. And yet he's willing to give up that so that he might come and get into the, the, the dirt of our world and get into the difficulty of our world. Jesus was willing to pay an immeasurable cost so that he might come for you and for me. And if we are invited into the way of Jesus, and that's what we are, then for us to see that be extended to people around us, i got to tell you, there's going to be a cost for you and for me as well. You know, Jesus made this super plain right from the get-go. He says to people, in this world you will have trouble. And the truth of the matter is, the closer we get to God, sometimes it seems the more trouble we have. Has anybody ever experienced that? Yeah? But then he invites us to do something remarkable. He says, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. You know, we read some incredible verses from 1 Corinthians 15 this morning that, that remind us of the victory that, that Jesus Christ had over death. Because we've talked about his death this evening, but remind yourself, he rose from the grave. Death could not hold him. He is risen and he is victorious. And because of that, we have a hope. 
Because of his life, we have life now in all its fullness and forever. Now, Jesus Christ invites us into that life, but he tells us there's a price to pay and, and there's a cost to being part of the mission of God. I wonder if you've got a Bible, you might want to turn to Matthew 26. There are some Bibles scattered around, and I'm sure these verses are going to come up on the screen as well. And in Matthew 26, we're kind of getting to the crunch point of the story of Jesus here on this earth. And uh, like I say, Jesus has done nothing wrong. Nothing wrong. In fact, quite the opposite. Jesus has done everything right. You know, if Jesus wasn't so nice, he'd be really irritating. Because he just, he's one of those, he never does anything wrong. But, the, but it, it's great that Jesus is just so lovely as well. Uh, you know, he's literally done nothing wrong. And yet, in inviting people into a true and a living way, and not some dead religious way, he's, he's got the backs up of the powers that be. And we're getting to the crunch point here where they're going to put him to death. And Jesus has been... He institutes something that we call communion or the, the Lord's Supper. We're going to share in that this evening shortly. And after that, through some very difficult conversations, Jesus goes, um, the Bible says in Matthew 26 and verse 36, he goes with his disciples. Those are the people that follow Jesus. He goes with them to a place called Gethsemane. And, uh, and he and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Jesus knows what's coming up ahead. He knows how his mission is going to unfold. You know, when trouble comes into, into your life, when you find yourself in places of sorrow or of grief, um, sometimes, you know, you don't really want to be around many people, do you? Is, is that, that's fair, I think, isn't it? You know, Jesus had been at times um, previous to this with huge crowds. We heard about this morning, Jesus feeding 5,000 people. That's a pretty big crowd. Not many of you had that many for Sunday lunch, did you? Thank goodness. Oh, did you? Okay, good. Um, we, don't, we don't tend to have that size of crowd, but, but Jesus had this ridiculously big crowd. But it kind of gets whittled down when people start to realize the cost of being on mission with Jesus. And here he is just with... Um, 11, because one of them has skulked off to play his wicked part. But Jesus is so troubled, he's so full of grief that he says, I just want to be apart. And, and just the, the very closest friends that he has, Peter, James and John are those two sons. They go together and in verse 38, he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time he went away and prayed, and my father, 
If this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Now Jesus sees and and understands and deeply feels um, the the journey of his life, his earthly life. And you know, just as we've described him coming down from heaven to this earth, and even kind of coming and, and, and being born in such humble circumstances. How many days is it till Christmas? Not many, is it? We'll remember then, won't we, that uh, Jesus was born and, and wrapped in these swaddling cloths, nothing much to look at, and, and laid in an animal's feeding trough in a manger, for there was no room in the inn, as we say. It's incredible humility. But even beyond that, we see here that Jesus his life has, has progressed in this, in this track so that he comes into this place of incredible sorrow, even to death, as he understands what is going to happen in his future. He's going to take upon himself all of the sins of the world, all of your wrongdoing, all of my wrongdoing, all of the consequence of all of that sin, all of the brokenness of the world. Jesus is going to take it upon himself so that there might be healing and hope and new life in and through him. It's coming down and down and down and down. You know, we can learn a great deal from Jesus as he deals with his grief and his loss. You know, just as we've said, if we want to follow in the way of Jesus, if we want to be a part of the mission of God, then we also will have to deal with loss, the cost, the price that has to be paid. But even in every area of of life, in, in every person's life, we have to deal with grief and loss. I was listening to somebody speaking the other day, and they were saying, think about it. Uh, even from the moment you're born, you're kind of dealing with loss. Because there you've been. Um, in this beautiful environment, haven't you, for all those months, and everything's been warm, and, and you know, all your needs have been provided for, and then, and then you're unceremoniously uh, you know, shot out into the world. No wonder all babies start off with crying. You know, it's just not a very pleasant kind of thing to go through, is it? And I, I don't know, no babies can kind of think of it, and you don't remember these things, but if we could remember, I'm sure our first thought must have been, oh, I didn't really want this. <laughs> Let me go back in. It was nice. Uh, there's this sense of, of kind of stepping out into the kind of cold and sharp and harsh realities of things. But more seriously, we go through life and, and we have to face various sorrows and losses and griefs as we go along the way. You know, we face loss within relationships, within friendships. We lose people as we go along and, and folks senior to us pass away and we're left with the grief of their passing and that kind of ache that comes with their missing and 
There are so many other losses in life, the losses of, of disappointments, of hopes not realized, of, of dreams that never seem to quite come to pass. And there are so many different losses and things that, that rightfully we need to mourn and to grieve over. And as a church, over recent weeks and weeks to come, we're talking about what it is to have an emotionally healthy spirituality. You see, Jesus Christ, endured more than anybody before or since. And yet, somehow, he remained whole within that. Somehow, even in his humanity, he remains somebody who can, who can invite us to be like him, to, to follow in his way and in his model, because even in his pain and his misery. He knew what it was to mourn and to grieve and to sorrow rightly. You know, if we're to be full and whole people, as well as people of the mission of God, then we need to understand and know the example of Christ and learn what it is to deal with sorrow and grief rightly. You know, Jesus sees the deep horror of it all, and he asks God, is there another way I can fulfill your plan if it is possible? You know, there are many Christians nowadays in our world that will tell us that the point of Christianity is to, is to maximize our own reality and to, to, to live our best life now or some other such nonsense. They would, they would invite you to think that the way of Christ is a way of perennial health or permanent wealth or some other sense of everything being hunky-dory and fine and dandy. But when we see Jesus hunched over in agony in a garden where not a one of his friends could even put an arm around him for an hour, let alone the night, I don't think we see an example of somebody who says this is just plain sailing, bed of roses kind of Christianity. No, no, no. If it is possible. And yet, the horror that lies ahead could not be avoided. In a, in a sense, Jesus prays that he doesn't get the miracle that the plain words would invite us to think he's asking for. The father, as it were, says no to a certain sense of the prayer, but yes to the fullest reality. We don't always get our miracles. We don't always get what we want in the, thing, in the way that we think we need it. And yet we can still be growing into the likeness of Jesus. And we can still be seeing God's kingdom come. We need to listen. We need to listen to the, the pains, the difficulties, the, the interruptions that God will send our way. You know, sometimes also within Christianity, we, we give this false sense that, that everything is on an upward trajectory. I, I don't know, maybe sometimes we get the idea that, you know, we, we invite Jesus to be the Lord of our lives and we surrender our lives to him. And then we think from that moment onwards, everything is just going to get better and better every single moment. Everything will be absolutely fantastic. And then Jesus will come again and we'll just be absolutely whooping and hollering because it's so amazing. 
Well, that moment will be. And I tell you, if you invite Jesus to be Lord of your life, that's probably the, the greatest moment of your life. But the truth of the matter is that it's not just a simple progression, is it? It's not a simple kind of step-by-step, step, everything gets better every single day. It sounds a bit like Pollyanna or something, doesn't it? It's, we know the reality of it is that life is more of a roller coaster. There are downs as well as there are ups. And God will, will interrupt us. God will meet with us in those downs and allow them in our lives so that we can look for him in those places, in those losses, in those pains. She even can become gifts. If Jesus hadn't submitted himself to the cross, there's not a one of us that could know life. If Jesus hadn't submitted us to the cross, I tell you, each and every one of us would be going not towards a death like the cross, but an ultimate death that we couldn't avoid. But Jesus submitted himself to the cross. What are the gifts of grief? What are the treasures of sorrow and of mourning? If we will hang with God, hang on with God, and, and, and allow him to lead us through grief, well, grief and loss will break our self-will. The Bible says in, in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 7, uh, talking about Jesus, although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. It's a strange idea, isn't it? You know, we think about Jesus and we know that he was sinless and perfect, fully God. And then the Bible says that he learned something. It's like, well, didn't he just know everything anyway? Well, apparently not. <laughs> Earlier on in the Bible, talking about Jesus growing up as a kid in Luke chapter 2, it says that, that Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor before God and men. Jesus had to grow up just like any of us to learn and experience and sample the world and, and know how he was to be in the world. And, and the, the truth of the matter is that the, the Bible here isn't teaching that somehow Jesus was in any way disobedient. No, no. Jesus was in no way rebellious against the will of the Father. And yet, in this, he learned a depth and a newness of obedience in the particular mission of God. And the way of learning that was through the way of suffering. There was no way for Jesus to bring about the fullness of the mission of God except through suffering. And Jesus experienced this as one fully God and fully human, as one God in the flesh, flesh just like yours and mine. You know, the same flesh that can experience pain, the same flesh that can be cut or broken or wounded in various ways. Jesus submitted himself to the will of God, his Father, by conforming his human will to God's will. That doesn't mean that it's easy. This prayer, this passage is a passage of struggle and of wrestling. This morning, we considered something from the book of Job. It's a whole book of wrestling and a whole book of struggling. You know, if you ever find yourself struggling and wrestling in your Christian world, please don't think you're on your own. You're really not. This is a time of genuine wrestling and struggling of pain. Jesus is he's wanting to fulfill the will of the Father. He's wanting to bring hope and salvation to the world, but he's, he's seeing the pain and the problem that faces him, and he's, he's asking for another way. 
Jesus told the Father about how he felt in the moment. He wasn't before his Father thinking, I'm just going to pretend like it's not happening and somehow impress the Father God. Jesus doesn't need to do this. Jesus has been eternally in perfect communion with God. He's not going to put up a front now. He's not going to pretend now. You and I, sometimes we, we fall into the trap of thinking that somehow we need to impress God or impress the people around us. If we just kind of put on the mask of everything being fine, then somehow we'll kind of soldier on and find our way through. Can we follow the example of Jesus? We can be totally open with God our Father, with our struggles, with our desire to find another way. Jesus was. But as Jesus struggles, he is still able to say, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus is honest about the fact that his human will is not re- rebelling, but is, is balking at the, at the devastating consequences that lie ahead. Jesus owns that before God, his Father, and says, Yet not that will, but the will of my Father, which I have submitted to. That's what I will do in perfect submission. Three times Jesus prayed that same thing. He didn't automatically just simply do what was right as some sort of robot. You know, Jesus wasn't some programmed savior just, you know, punching the program and then wheel him out and off he goes. No, Jesus felt the misery. He felt the pain. He felt the sorrow. He, he, he saw the magnitude of the need of our world, and Jesus wrestled with it. And he learned obedience from what he suffered, the Bible teaches. Jesus learned this in his way, sinlessly and perfectly, so that we may learn from Jesus that a struggled and learned and prayed for obedience is the true obedience. Jesus, in inviting you to be like him, in inviting you to be part of his mission, is not looking for you to kind of flick some switch on the back of your head as though you're some sort of uh, action man and then somehow just kind of be wheeled out and off you go. He didn't make you that way. He made you with reason. He made you with feeling. He made you with passion. He made you with foresight and the ability to kind of figure it out. He made you so that you can look at the mission that lies ahead and you can determine that you're willing. I wonder, Christians, do we all too often kind of say the right words without actually wrestling with the the calling of God, the mission of God that he's inviting us into? You know, it's okay to honestly wrestle with these things and learn obedience to the way of God. Grief and loss breaks our self-will and grief and loss will teach us to let go. To let go. You know, the Bible teaches us that the revealed things of, of God, they belong to us and for, for generations to come. But there are secret things that are just known to God. You know, the in some senses, in an ultimate sense, suffering and death and loss is, is, a, is a mystery. You know, we know the Bible teaches us and we experience it, 
that God is good and his love endures forever. And yet, we oftentimes find ourselves wrestling in the, the, in the, the difficulties of this life. We can't fix people. Did you know that? You can't fix people. But we can't save people. We can't make this world the world that God ever intended it to be. We can do good things. Don't get me wrong. We can show kindnesses. We can intervene in unjust situations. We can contribute of our lives, of our passions, of our resources. We can do so much good. But ultimately, we can't fix people. We can't fix this world. That's God's business. Grief and loss and sorrow invites us to, to, to come to our limitation and to submit everything to God that he may be glorified in salvation and in hope. Grief and loss breaks our self-will. It teaches us to let go. And grief and loss empties our hearts, creating space for God to fill. Do you ever find that your life is full? Do you ever find that busyness or even all the things that you've kind of got passionate about over the years somehow fill you to the extent that you you kind of you know you go days without thinking about how to kind of become more Christ-like or or how to engage with his mission we can get incredibly busy in our lives we can get incredibly full not just with good things that we love but we can we can get full with some of the the negative experiences and negative things of our life that we we just haven't been able to let go of Grief empties us if we'll let it, creating a holy vacancy for God. Loss creates space for the love of God to come in. You know, very literally, when we lose something, there inevitably is space. And if we will let, then God will come in. Our souls can be enlarged. If we pay attention to God in these times of loss, then something remarkable can happen spiritually. It might be possible that we may not just lose things that are precious, but we might lose some of the junk of life, creating space for God to fill it, fill us with his presence. And in this also, grief and loss can teach us about prayer. Isn't that profoundly what is happening in what we read? that Jesus is talking with his Father. He's talking it through. He's talking about every aspect of what it is to be faced. Jesus prays. He prays to the one who he loves above all else and who he knows loves him above all else. You know, we, we frail people you know, if Jesus prayed as much as he did, how much more, how much more do we need to? You see, prayer is about being with God. You know, Jesus invited his disciples into this, didn't he? He brought them all to the garden. He brought the three to be apart with him. And he said this, he said, remain here and watch with me. It's not so much about the saying or the doing, is it? It's more about the being 
and the being with Jesus. Truthfully, that's what prayer is most profoundly about. It's about being and being with God. And he gives us that exact same invitation that those disciples received in the garden. He says, come, remain here and watch with me. Watch, listen, understand, experience. Jesus invites us into this way. And it's the path toward the new. It's a path through death toward resurrection. John chapter 12 and 24 profoundly tells us this truth from the lips of Jesus. He said, you know, I tell you this truth that unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. And Jesus knew that his life, once and for all, given over fully, could produce immense life extravagant life, life springing up through all of human history and right across the globe. And and truthfully, it has. And millions and billions of people have known the life of Jesus Christ. And many of you here tonight know exactly that. Jesus knew that it was worth his life being sown, his life dying, so that he might come to newness of life and, and you just like him and me just like him. Sorrow and grief leads to what is new. When sorrow and grief is surrendered to God, when it's the journey that we journey with God, when it has these goals in mind that we might become like Jesus and that we might join him on his mission, these sorrows, these griefs, even this death will lead to resurrection and it'll lead to newness of life. And so I would ask you this evening, Do you run away from sorrow? Whether within your own experience or within the lives of those around you, do you run away from the griefs and the pains and the troubles of our world? Or are you willing, like Jesus, to sow your life so that resurrection life might profoundly, genuinely come in your experience and in the experience of those around you? Would you pray with me this evening? Can we do that together? This evening we've been talking about journeying in the way of Jesus, of being able to enlarge our souls through grief and loss. And and we talk about these things not so that we will just have some have some sort of spiritual experience and then have some sort of personal benefit that we might feel a bit better about things or whatever. But we talk about these things because we believe that God invites us into these ways that we might genuinely be emotionally healthy, spiritually healthy, that we might be people who are like Jesus. Jesus perfectly healthy, perfectly content in the love of his Father. I think that'd be a good place for you and I to be. And we talk about these things also because we live in a world that needs to know the love of Jesus Christ. And to know that love, this world needs Christians who 
are willing to process through grief and loss and the sorrow of mission. Because it's the same mission that Jesus brought into this world. And if it cost him everything, then it will surely cost us also. We need to be like him. We need to be with him. I'd invite you this evening to consider your own life. How much are you willing to identify with Jesus? In his griefs, in his sorrow, even in his death, and then in his resurrection and newness of life. Will you identify with him in that?